My, uh, my boys have, two of my boys have been in nativity plays in the last week. One of them um, played Joseph in the nativity play, uh, obviously one of the big roles. And uh, one of the other ones played a Christmas elf. And I think uh, that if that says nothing else, it says that since the story of the first Christmas, things have become a little confused over the years, in the last 2,000 years. And, and today we have so many things that we cram around this particular celebration, whether it's Mariah Carey singing to us or it's Christmas shopping, John Lewis adverts, M&S adverts, whatever, uh, whether it's reindeer and Santa. We have all this stuff that we cram around the day. And what can happen as a result of that, and I love so many of those things, um, but it can kind of fog up the glass a little bit and it can make it hard to see what the message of Christmas really is. And so for just a few minutes, I want to bring us back to that, that question, what is Christmas all about? And at its heart, Christmas is a message that a rescuer has come. And the way that Isaiah put it in that prophecy that we had read to us at the start of our service together, Isaiah chapter 9, he's looking ahead to the arrival of Jesus and he puts it like this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I read uh, an account this week of a lady who a few years ago was asleep in her apartment. She was in America and she was fast asleep when the apartment building she was living in collapsed, totally collapsed. And so she can remember literally waking up in the night to all this noise and seeing the floorboards of her bedroom disappearing as it ran towards her. And then before she knew what was happening, she was falling and she was buried in the rubble. She managed to somehow, she was trapped underneath her mattress, which meant she had this tiny little space um, that she somehow managed to survive in and she was in there and you can just imagine the shock of that um, the, the fear that would set in the terror of being buried under tons of, of brick and of rubble and of steel and of concrete and, and knowing there is nothing you can do in a moment like that to escape there's, there's literally no way out and she tells of how she had to just lie there in the pitch black for hour after hour, hoping that someone was going to come and get her. And eventually, after hours of lying there, she, heard, she started to hear noises, sounds of, you know, what hopefully for her she thought was rescue. And after a few more hours, she, some of the rubble that was above her got removed. <clears throat> and she talked about how in the darkness, suddenly these little shafts of light started to come in. And then eventually enough rubble was removed that somebody reached into the hole that she was in and grabbed her hand. Um, imagine the thoughts that would have gone through her head in the hours running up to that moment. Imagine the fear that she would have felt. And then somebody took her hand and the guy that took it said to her, we've got you and we're never going to let you go. We're never going to let you go. And they set her free. And for me, that's, that's such a picture of what it is to become a follower of Jesus, to become a Christian. Uh, we're trapped, many of us, and we feel trapped. Trapped in despair, trapped in anxiety, trapped in fear, uh, trapped in struggles, uh, decisions that we've made that have had consequences, our own mistakes, trapped in our own selfishness. The building has collapsed and there's no way out. And I think that picture's even more very much real right now when it feels like the world around us is collapsing as well. And the message of Jesus, the message of Christianity, and this is why it's not good advice, it's good news, is that a rescuer has come. 
The message is not, here's four steps for how to help yourself. It's not, here's how you can dig yourself out. It's not, try a little harder and do these five techniques and you'll find things will all work out. The message is, we're lost and we can't find our way home, but somebody came to find us. It's that we are um, constricted and we can't escape, but somebody's come to set us free. It's that we're living in a land of deep darkness, but a great light has dawned. And he takes our hand and he says to us, I've got you and I'm never going to let go. And his name is Jesus. And this is a time, more than any other, I think, to, to reflect on the question, what is Jesus like? And it, it may be you're watching this and you don't know him. Um, perhaps this is the first time you've ever watched an online service before. I want to try, if I can, to just paint a picture of what he's like. But I want to do that as much for those of us who do know him as for those of us who don't. Um, because with COVID and everything once again feeling just scary um, and, and uncertain and stressful, all the grief, all the pain, all the uh, fear that we're experiencing right now, this is a time, more, if there's ever been one, it's now to, to remind ourselves again of who it is we said yes to, of who it is who walks with us, of who, whose hand has taken our hand. Um, I don't know if you've ever been really cold, like absolutely freezing cold. It's a little bit mild now, but, um, you know, to the point where you feel like you're cold in your bones and you're shivering. One of the things that, that you can do in a moment like that, if you're at home anyway, is climb into the shower and just crank the heat up to maximum and turn the pressure on as high as it goes in your shower and just stand there and let the water, like the heat of the water, just pound your skull and warm you up. And the steam that kind of fills the bathroom in that moment, just you can inhale it and just gradually you can feel the heat kind of seeping into you and the cold disappearing away. And a time when we feel, I think many of us, full of fear and like the darkness is the only thing that's pressing in. This is a time where we take verses of scripture, like the ones we had read to us a moment ago, and they're like a warm shower. It's like we crank it up and we stand underneath them and we let the glorious truths that are in these verses just pound our skulls, renew our minds, wash our, our hearts. And as we do that, the heat of the truth the glory of who Jesus is just begins to seep into our hearts afresh and the fear disappears. And um, one of my favorite verses, I think, in the whole of the Bible is the one that we had read to us from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And it describes Jesus. It says, unto us a son is given, a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called. And then it lists these four names. And uh, I kind of think of them a bit like sort of four photos that you might scroll through on your phone. Four photos of the same person, but just taken at different points, taken from a different perspective or a different angle. But they're four photos for us um, of who Jesus is. And the first one is, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. So we can sit with this word, with this truth, wonderful counsel. A bit like you're in the shower, we can just stand underneath it and allow what it's saying to seep into us. Um, these are confusing times. It's hard to understand what's going on around us. Nobody can predict 
um, what's coming around the corner. And it's very hard also to understand what's going on inside of us. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I feel like my emotions are up and down and doing loop the loops. It's like I'm on this weird emotional roller coaster and I'm desperate to get off, but I don't know how. Uh, it's really hard to understand what's going on. And, and obviously there's a place at a time like this for trying to work it out and certainly for reflecting on what's happening inside of ourselves. That's always important. But also, this is a time when we need people to come alongside us and to, who've got a bit more objectivity and who can speak truth into our lives, whether that's a friend, a parent, a colleague, who can say to us, I see what's going on in your confusion. It might be hard for you to see it because you're in the middle of it, but here's what you should do to give us guidance. And what we're told of Jesus is that he is the wonderful counsellor. He guides us. Um, and one of the things that's particularly wonderful about him as a counsellor is that the way that he does this is not that he, he emails us some information like a boss sending out an assignment or a teacher sending out some homework. He doesn't do it from a distance. It's not cold and, and he's not apart from us in that way. That's not how he, how he guides us. The whole message of Christmas is that he has become one of us. That he's become a baby. And you may well know the story of Jesus that he was born 2,000 years ago in, an, in a stable in Bethlehem. They couldn't even find a room for him to be born in. So he's born there in a stable into poverty. And within months, he becomes a refugee. He has to flee for his life. His parents take him to Egypt. Then he returns and he grows up in, on the wrong side of the tracks in a poor part of a poor country, living under a foreign occupying power. And then when he begins his ministry, yes, lots of people love him and lots of people are drawn to him as he speaks words of freedom and he brings freedom to people around him. But also lots of people hated him. And eventually those people put him to death. And not only that, but he was betrayed by his friend. He was, he was abandoned by so many of those people that he was close to. And the reason um, we say all of that is that because when he speaks to our despair... This is something that I, I marvel at again when I realise it afresh. When he speaks to our pain, he's not speaking as an outsider to pain. It's not that he knows about this pain in the way that God knows all things. He's, he's speaking because he knows what it's like from the inside. Because he's experienced that darkness firsthand. And it's, it's like he's a friend who's been there before and knows the way out. One of the ways that I picture this in my head is a bit like, I don't know if you've ever seen a film where there's somebody who has to, for one reason or another, land a plane, but they've never flown a plane before. You know, there's like some sort of hostage situation or something, but you find someone with like a commercial airliner and they have to land it. And um, there's just all the dials and all the levers and all the knobs and it's like they've got no clue what they're doing. And then, but then they talk to somebody on the ground and the person on the ground happens to, happens to be an expert on how to do this. And so they can say to them, don't worry, I'm going to talk you through this. We're going we're to go through it together and step by step, I'm going to show you how to land the plane. He is a counsellor who shows us step by step, day by day, how to land the plane. And that can sound abstract, but it's not. It's, it's like what he does is he says to us, every, every day or any chance you get, open up my word, the Bible, open up your heart, and I'll talk you through it. Lord, 
I don't know how to negotiate this relationship because it feels like it's taken such a bad turn. Okay, I can show you how to land this plane. My business is, is only just begun to recover and now I'm terrified about what the future holds. I've got people I've got to look after. I've got employees, I've got family. All right, hold on. Day by day and step by step, let's get together and I'll talk you through what you need to do to land the plane. I'm confused about where I am and the mistakes I've made. It's okay. Um, I've, I, I, I know what's going on. I can talk you through how to land the plane. He's a wonderful counsellor. Skip to the next photo of Jesus. This one, this name, Mighty God. That speaks of his power, but the marvel of it is that we're talking about a child, a child that's being called Mighty God. How do those two things go together? And in this is the glory of Christmas and the wonder of it all, that you have on the one hand mighty God and yet he has become a child. And again, if we're talking about just soaking in the steam of this truth, let's just sit with this for a moment. I remember ages ago now, I watched this documentary about the oceans and they were trying to kind of quantify how much water is in the ocean and coming up with pictures that maybe our heads can grasp for how much water there is in all the oceans in the world. And this sad person at the BBC one day sat down and worked out on their calculator that if you were to take, they were trying to work out, if you were to take the water and put it into bathtubs, how many bathtubs would you have? Um, And they said you would have enough bathtubs if you line them up end to end from the earth to the sun and back again, you'd have enough bathtubs to do that 81 million times. The same person, I assume, also worked out that if you were able somehow to pull a plug on the ocean, you know, pull out like the equivalent of a bath plug on the ocean, how many years would it take for all the water in all the oceans to drain through a single plug hole? And they worked out it would take 174 trillion years. And it says elsewhere in Isaiah, it speaks of God and it says, he measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. I know it's poetry in a way, but, but seriously, how big must his hand be to measure that? The same verse talks of the stars. And uh, I love reading about the stars. They fascinate me. And, and I read somewhere that you can fit a million planet Earths into the sun. And our sun, well, it is enormous, but it's, as stars go, it's a pretty average-sized star. And it's just one single star in our galaxy of 100 billion of them. And our galaxy is one galaxy of hundreds of millions of, galax- uh, of galaxies. And, and science says to us that there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. That's crazy. And that same verse that speaks of God holding all the oceans in the hollow of his hand also says he measures the heavens by the span of his hand. How big must his hand be? And yet that same hand that is big enough to do that becomes little enough, small enough to wrap his fingers around a single finger on Mary's. Isn't that mad? that uh, the one who holds all of that also becomes so small. And so when we think of him as mighty God, there's power, yes, but there's also love. 
and he couldn't make himself any bigger in order to impress us. And so what he did is he made himself smaller in order to love us. Um, and those same hands that, that would have wrapped themselves around Mary's fingers, as we read the story of the Gospels, we see that those hands are the hands that bled for us, the hands that were nailed to a wooden cross on our behalf in our place, the hands that died for us. Mighty in power, mighty also in his love. And this is why he is the safest one we can ever come to. Um, you may well have a list of things you've got less, left to do before Christmas. Let me ask you a question. If you have a list of jobs and uh, you know you can't do them all, so you delegate, all right? You give a few to this person, you give a few to that person. After you've given the jobs to somebody, do you then stop worrying about those jobs? My answer, uh, I, I guess your answer is the same, is it depends on the person. Depends on who I've given them to, right? Because there are some people you know you can delegate it to. Please can you buy Christmas presents for this person, this person, this person. Please make sure you bring this for Christmas lunch or whatever. And you know that they're going to forget. You know that you're going to have to remind them time and again. You'll probably end up having to do it yourself anyway. But there are other people, hyper-efficient people, people who have the gift of organizing and administration. You give them a job and you know they're going to nail it. So you can give it to them and you can stop worrying. So often what we do is we treat God, Jesus, like he's the first and not the second. We, we give him things, I know I do, these things that scare me or these things that worry me and then I continue just to worry about them myself. And what we're told is he's the mighty God. So I can place into his hands this person. I can give to him this situation. I can put myself in his hands and I can then trust the fact that the one who measures the stars by the span of his hand and who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand and yet also who bled for me, his hands are the safest place to be. He is mighty God. Skip to the next photo of him. Everlasting Father. He will be called the Everlasting Father. That seems like a strange name to give the son, the child. But the reason he's given that name is because Jesus is the spitting image of his dad. The way that he puts it in John's Gospels, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. It's like I'm a chip off the old block. And uh, what he comes to do, and this staggers me, is he comes to draw us into a family. Anyone who says yes to him, who takes his hand... He draws us into the family of the one God that is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't just come to pull us out of a load of rubble. He comes to bring us into a relationship. And most of us, if we think about our father, most of us have got a mixed relationship with our dads. Um, for some of us, it's really good, but even the, the best dads um, make mistakes. And for lots of us, our dads make quite a few. And so um, we can think of God as a father, and that doesn't always conjure up... Um, helpful pictures but what we're told here is that he's an everlasting father one of the things that characterizes him as our dad is that he's faithful forever he's the forever father and I am a dad to four boys so I um, get to experience firsthand father-son relationships every single day and uh, the phase we're in at the moment there's four of them six and under so uh, I'm knackered and I have to change a lot of nappies, but it's glorious. And I, I, what happens to me is I go home at the end of the day at work 
and the four of them sort of like, they, they, I ring on the doorbell or I knock on the window or something, and they come running like these four puppies towards me. And they just, the moment I walk through the door, they all start talking to me at the same time. The oldest, you know, he wants to show me something he's done at school that day. The next one wants me to play Lego with him. The third one wants me to give him the, his 10th biscuit of the day. The little one just wants to stick his finger in my eyes and see how I react. It's like, it, and then they're all over me and I'll sit there on the sofa and they'll, they'll go off and they'll play a little bit and then they'll come back and they'll just want to sit. They just want to touch base. They'll, they'll climb on me or, or sit with me or tell me about something completely random and then they'll wander off again and they'll play trains and they'll play cars and they'll come back for a little bit more and then they'll go off again. And, uh, and the, the relationship that we're invited into with God is, is one of closeness. It's that we're his kids now. We're his children. We become the daughters of the Heavenly Father, the sons of the Heavenly Father. It's about closeness and intimacy. And I know, because I've, I've got parents, or I know friends who are parents of teenagers, I've heard the rumours that it won't always be like this, that there will come a day when I arrive home and nobody can be bothered to even look up from the telly. There will come a day when I am no longer the hero that they point out to their friends proudly, that's my dad, but instead they will turn in the opposite direction and pretend they don't know me. Um, and that's, you know, that's to be expected. But I know that my job is never to do that to them. Even if they pretend to play it cool, my job is always to run to them. It's always to pursue them. And when we come to know this father, even the best human picture of a dad is but a shadow of his faithfulness, of the delight that he takes in us. We, many of us, we can feel like we've let him down, that he's somehow reluctant to come close, that we've wandered off in the wrong direction, and he, he runs to us. He's the forever father, the faithful one. Final picture of Jesus from this verse. He's the prince of peace. And the word peace here is a Hebrew word, shalom, which means wholeness. He's the king of wholeness. He's the bringer of wholeness. His rule and his reign when it comes into our world, but also when it comes into our lives, is one of wholeness. Those things that are broken find healing. Those, those wounds that we thought would never close, they get closed, and more than that. Um, when we think about this level of peace, uh, one of the things that helps me picture it is I, I like quiet. I'm an introvert. Um, and uh, so I'll try and find places around where I can be a little bit quiet. One of those, there's not many places around Watford where you can't hear the traffic. There's these fields that I go to um, that are kind of, well, it doesn't really matter, but you can just about hear the A41. But apart from that, it's a little bit quiet, and I quite like that. And I remember years ago, Mike and I went to the Grand Canyon together, and we walked down the Grand Canyon, and uh, we got maybe about halfway down, and Mike decided that he wasn't going to make it all the way down, so he turned around to begin to walk back up again. And um, I carried on going down to the Grand Canyon. I wanted to get down to the bottom. Actually, I put some music on, and I began to run down the Grand Canyon. And the reason for that is because the competitive part in me wanted to get down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and back up again before he made it back up again, um, so that I could tell you I did that, which I did. But anyway... I, I, I went down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and I remember having my music on and there was nobody else around, not a single person. Either side of me, there were these, these towering walls of red rock and the sky was blue and the sun was beating down and it was like you're walking kind of in a desert right at the bottom. And I remember in that moment pressing pause on my music and as I did that, I just heard 
up until that point, I thought I knew what quiet was. And then in that moment, I felt the heavy weight of silence. And the two are very different. And when we talk about Jesus bringing wholeness, this isn't just he brings an absence of stress. This isn't simply, oh, my week hasn't been too bad. It's been slightly better than I thought. This is the heavy presence of his peace. And we find it not because everything around us becomes easy, but because he is with us in this place. Like, like, a, like a bird might shelter from a storm under the wing of its mum. It's like we find it in our intimacy and in our closeness with him. And if we don't have it at the moment, and I imagine that's a lot of us, um, I know it's been me for a lot of this week, the solution is not to look down deep inside ourselves and somehow find peace. The solution is to lift our eyes once again to the child who is given to us, the child who is the wonderful counsellor. I can help you land the plane. I understand what this is like. The child who is the mighty God, I have power and I am mighty in my love. The child who is the everlasting father, he reveals to us the intimacy and the closeness of a forever father to us. And the child who comes to be the prince of peace. In whom we know we are loved unconditionally, absolutely, always and forever. As, as who he is comes to the forefront once again, we find even in darkness we can have confidence in what John says in his introduction to Jesus, which is this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen.